Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. I heard a story just recently about a preacher who, much in the same way as we conduct our services here, finished his sermon. And like I typically do after we finish our sermon and sing the invitation song, this preacher walked to the back of the church building and he was waiting to greet the people as the service was over, shake hands, say hi, connect with a few people. And um, up walked a young little boy and he was the son of one of the deacons and he stretched out his hand. And so the preacher stretched out his hand and shook it. He said, good morning, Jonathan. And it was something strange. He felt something strange in his hand. And he looked down and he said, what is this? And Jonathan said to him, it's money. And he had a big smile on his face. And he says, I want you to have it. Well, the preacher was a little bit taken back by, you know, the warm handshake, so to speak. And he said, son, I don't want your money. You don't need to give this to me. And he said, I want you to have it. My dad says, you're the poorest preacher we've ever had, and I want to help. <laughs> so let me tell you this morning, if one of your kids hands me some money, I'm going to be really, really upset. No, I'm just kidding. But guess what? We're going to preach about money. We're going to talk about giving and generosity, not just today, but for the next six weeks after today. And there's two main reasons why we're going to do this. Um, this is not a backdoor into a giving campaign. We don't have anything planned next week to roll out to you saying we need $7.9 million, and so we're ready to give, and we're priming the pump. None of that at all. In fact... There's two main reasons. Number one, the first reason we're going to preach about giving for the next seven weeks is I personally have not done a very good job teaching about giving. And uh, this morning, this is my confession. I owe you a confession of that, that um, I have not done a good job, not just in the last few years, but in the last 12 or 13 years, done a very good job of teaching you on the subject, what the Bible has to say about giving. And so this preaching is not just my confession, but my repentance to you. Number two... We, the elders, the preachers here, those of, uh, who are providing some leadership, want every person in this place, every member of this body, to know the joy that comes with living a generous lifestyle. We believe deep down inside of us the words of Jesus when he said, you are more blessed if you know how to live a life of giving than if you live a life seeking to always receive. That's a more blessed life. And so we want every person to know what it's like to live the blessed life of being generous. That's what the series of our teaching is going to be called, Generous. And we know that this is actually a hard door to enter through. It's strange, it's difficult for us to think about being open-handed, generous people as a blessed life when there's so many reasons for us to fear over scarcity of maybe not having enough. And we know that we have a lot of room to grow as a body in how we become generous. Did you know giving is actually something that the Christian is supposed to be really good at? In fact, we're supposed to be great at it. You see, Paul says we're actually, as Christians, have been called to excel in giving. Giving should be, as Paul says here, if you look down in verse, I believe it's verse 7, pardon me, verse 6, 
He says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace that the Corinthian church had promised to give some money. He says, I want you to complete this act of grace. Now listen to verse 7. To Christians, he's saying, as you excel in all of these things, in faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in your earnestness, and as you excel in receiving the love that Paul has for them, he says, I also want you to excel at being generous. Christians have been called to be great givers. And giving should grow in the same fashion that we grow in what we know about God's word. It should grow in the same fashion as we develop better conduct. It should grow in the same fashion as we grow in our love for each other and for God. Giving should grow in the same way as we try to grow in every other aspect of our life. Giving should grow that same way. Secondly, Paul tells us that giving is where your love for God and others is proven to be genuine. This is like biblical language for put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. That we speak about being generous and kind and loving, grace-filled people. That we speak about loving God and loving our neighbor. He's saying, listen, you got to put your money where your mouth is. Giving is a part of that process. And so as an example, Paul's, Paul holds up these Macedonian Christians. He's speaking to the Corinthians who have a lot of money. And he's saying, I want to tell you about these Macedonians. I want to hold them up as an example of a body of people who are givers. And he describes them as people who overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Wow. A wealth of generosity. Two really simple questions this morning. Number one. What is generosity? Two, how, do we, how is it produced? How is it made? Let's start with the first question, number one. What is generosity? What does it mean? This word generosity or being generous is one of those words that is deeply embedded with a lot of meaning inside of the word. Inside of the etymology is what it's called. Is basically how we got this word generous. Inside of it, there's so much that you need to understand about what it means to be generous. Because what God is not interested in is just getting you to pry your fingers off your 20s. That's not what he's interested in. He wants hearts that become generous. And generous people open-handedly give. The word generous is beautiful and it's deep and it starts with the idea of giving of yourself. If you look down in verse 5, Paul speaking about these Macedonian Christians, he says that they first gave of themselves to the Lord. Before they ever gave a dollar, before they ever gave a gift, before they ever sent anything to anybody to help relieve any sort of suffering, these people first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, they understood the phrase that they were bought with a price. That the blood of Jesus Christ, when they were saved, He wasn't just their Savior, He was also their Lord. That He bought them with His own blood, He purchased them as Christians. They understood then that they are now stewards of all that belongs to God. It is no longer just theirs. They are stewards and they are servants of a master. That's what they understood, these Macedonian Christians. You see, the very first part of the word generous... The very beginning of the word generous actually means simplicity of heart that no longer is self-seeking. That's what the word generous means. That you have a simplicity in your own heart that helps you relieve you of this burden of constantly being self-seeking. That you're, that you're done with this process of self-seeking. You see, 
We need more of this. We need, pardon me, we need self-seeking to stop so that we can become generous. And for this to happen, we must first give ourselves to God. And here's how this works. Because when you give yourself to God in the fullest sense where you understand that you have been bought by a price and you are His and He is yours, you begin to understand the teaching from Scripture where He says that God provides all that we need. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that you think you need will be added unto you. Secondly, about God, when you give yourself to God, you realize that having Him is enough. This insatiable hunger that we have for more and more and more gets satisfied not with more stuff, but with a fuller presence of God in your life. There's a never-ending hunger of the human soul that is yearning and longing for something. And we seek to fill it with all these different material things. And when you live in a culture that is constantly presenting to you an idea of consumerism, you know that's what our economy is built on, right? So when the economy grows, all it means is you spent more money. That's all that means. And so as this, uh, we live in this culture of consumerism, it's constantly trying to beg you to feed this hunger to get more and more. And he's saying, when you give yourself to God, you realize he's enough. He's all I need. Secondly, generosity is demonstrated by the giving of your means. You see, being generous is not measured by your words. Being generous is measured by your wallet. It's true. Being generous demands that you and I move from our talking to transactions, to actually giving something. You can't get away or get around this idea that being generous, once we give of ourselves to the Lord, we know that He provides all that we need and He is everything that we would need to satisfy us. Generous, being generous also means that we're demonstrating that by the giving of our means. You notice he says about these Macedonians that in their severe test of affliction, he says that they gave, in verse 3, they gave according to their means. And he testified that they went even beyond their means. That word means doesn't just mean your actual money. It means the power that you have to make a difference. So you might have time. You might have intellect. You might have some certain ability to maybe fix a car or help somebody do something. And you might have some money, but it is the power that you possess to make a difference or an influence in somebody's life. And these Macedonians gave of what their means were, even beyond their means. So generosity begins when you give yourself to the Lord. It's demonstrated when you give of your means. But generosity means that you delight in giving relief to others. Look again down at verse 4. He says, accordingly, pardon me, verse 4, the Macedonians were begging Paul to earnestly give them the favor, the blessing of being able to relieve the hurtings of the saints in Jerusalem. There were saints who were suffering in Jerusalem, and Paul was going around getting a collection of finances to help the saints in Jerusalem. And the Macedonians looked at Paul and they begged him saying, do not deny us the privilege, the favor, the blessing of being able to relieve the pain and the hurt of other people. You see, the objective of being generous is that the pain of other people would be resolved, it would be satisfied, it would be eased, you might say. Even you and I give, when we give, to feel relief from our own guilt or to feel relief from our own insecurities is not generosity. That might be giving, but it's not generosity. 
You see, all that is is buying mercy. God, maybe you'll forgive me if I give more of my money because I feel guilty. Or it's buying affection. Giving without God's grace in your life is a purchase of mercy or affection from others. The need that you're only thinking about is your need, your guilt, your insecurities. But he says here, generosity delights actually in giving the relief to other people's problems. When other people are your focus, hear me on this. This is what true generosity is. When other people's pain is what you're really thinking about, your mind all of a sudden becomes much clearer when you start to ask questions like, what is the best way to help somebody? You see, we oftentimes can become giving but not generous when we just throw money at things so that we feel better because we feel kind of guilty because we're not doing enough. But when we're generous, that means that we pause and say, what is the best way to help this person or this situation? Generosity says, how can I really help this person's pain be relieved? So generosity means that we first give ourselves to the Lord and become ultimately selfless. It means that we demonstrate it by the giving of our means so that we can be open-handed, providing benevolence to other people. And generosity means we delight in other people's pain being eased. But the main question really then is this, how is it produced? How do we generate generosity, right? How does this become true in us? And the Macedonians are a perfect example, both because they tell us how it's produced, but also they tell us how generosity is not produced. Let me start on that end. Generosity, first and foremost, is not produced by easier circumstances. You do not become generous when your circumstances become easier. You see, the Macedonians lived in a war-torn country. It was constantly being ravaged by the military. They faced intense religious persecution. There were false teachers that were showing up in the Macedonian churches, leading them away from the grace of God. And the Jewish people who were local there, the leaders of the Jewish people, were stirring up strife and hatred against the local Macedonian Christians. You can read Acts chapter 17 to get a little bit of the story about how this worked. Paul didn't last very long there because he was run out of town. They had incredibly difficult circumstances, but they were generous. You see, life being easier, our schedules being less hectic, our stress being reduced is not the thing that will make us generous givers. That doesn't happen that way. In fact, Paul says it this way in verse 2. He says, For in a severe test of affliction. What Paul attributes their affliction to is a test to find out what's really in them. You see, our circumstances don't make us givers or make us not givers. Our circumstances reveal what we are. And this test of affliction, this challenge, this difficulty, this busyness, whatever your difficult circumstances are, job or your life or your home or your family, whatever sort of circumstances are challenging for you right now, is not prohibiting you from being a giver. It's revealing. And so easier circumstances do not make cheerful givers. Easier circumstances just give us more comfort to be who we already are. Easier circumstances will not make you generous. Number two, generosity is not produced by extra money. This is one of the great misconceptions about being a giver. Generosity is not produced by having extra money. We say things like, we'll do it when we have more money, right? We'll, we'll be able to give more when I have more money. 
But that's one of the great misconceptions. We hear stories of the ultra wealthy in our culture giving money and donating huge amounts of money to universities, to libraries, to hospitals. We drive by and we see their names kind of plastered right on buildings. And we immediately think because I don't know how many heavy hitters we have in here, but there's probably a few people in here that have their name on a building because they're giving, you know, 100 million to some place. Anybody? No. Okay. And we begin to assume that if I had that kind of money, I would start to give. The latest research in American culture today is this. The top 20% income earners in America give 1.3% of their income. The bottom 20% of income earners in America right now give 3.6% of their income. Having more money does not make you generous. You know this. I don't need to use the ultra wealthy, right, to give this as an example. I think back to when Lisa and I lived in uh, Athens. Um, we were dirt poor. We got married. We were both in college. We were, I won't even tell you how much money. It, it wasn't a lot. We had dial-up internet, no cable, and we couldn't go out to eat. You know, we just had no money. And we moved to Pickerington. And all of a sudden, we're the richest people we've ever heard of in our life. And, and, and since then, you know, things have gone like this at times. But overall, the last 15 years, the trajectory has been up. And just making more money doesn't automatically make you more generous. It just doesn't do that. You know that because as we make more money, typically our lifestyle goes right alongside of it. We don't become a giver when we get more. When we get more, we continue to do the things we do when we had less. We just do more of it. And if you look at your budget right now and 97.9% of it is spent on you, when you have $100 or a $1 million, 97.9% of it is spent on you. That's how it works. Easier circumstances and extra money do not make generous people. What makes generous people? It's really simple. He says in verse 2, generous people are produced by the abundance of joy. The abundance of joy. That's the only ingredient required to become generous is when you have an abundance of joy. So if joy is the thing that makes you generous, we better figure out what joy is. Because guess what, church? We've got a bad understanding of what joy is. Joy is not the warm, fuzzy feelings of things going well. Joy is not you being happy. In fact, you can be upset and have joy at the same time. Joy has nothing to do with your circumstances, has nothing to do with your happiness. Joy is something much, much deeper. You know what the word joy translated really means? The word joy just simply means awareness of grace. That's all the word joy means. The word joy, when you go all the way back, they were writing the word saying, how do, how do we translate what joy is? They wrote awareness of grace. That's all it means. You see, joy is the condition of your soul when you are aware of the grace that's been brought to your life. When you are aware of what's come to you, that's not because you've earned it or you've done it, but because somebody's been gracious to you. That's what joy really is. In the awareness of grace, there's an abundance of joy, and it makes you a generous person. When you receive grace, and you have joy because people have been gracious to you, that produces a kind of generosity. Let me tell you a story about a guy named Dale Beatty. Dale Beatty was a man who in 2005 was serving a tour in northern Iraq. And while he was there, he was driving in a Humvee with a buddy of his. They veered off the road, and one of those bombs that get buried in the road went off, sent their Humvee 50 feet in the air. 
They land on the ground, and his feet are trapped under the Humvee. A few days later, his legs are amputated from the knees down, and he spends one year in Walter Reed Hospital, a whole year of his life. He gets out, he's um, honorably discharged because he's now disabled from the military, and he's back home in North Carolina, and he had plans, he had been saving, he had plans to build his wife and his two children a home on his family's homestead. His father was going to give him some acreage. He was going to build it himself. His hands, he was going to build this home. Well, a member of his church, who was a contractor, heard about this. And he goes to the county local builders association. He says, hey, this guy's had this issue. He can't build this house anymore. And with the help of many, many donations and hundreds of volunteers in that community, they built that man a house that he now lives in. Wheelchair accessible, all the things that you would need for him to live in that place. And he was overwhelmed by their grace. You know what Dale did? Dale called the man who was riding with him in that Humvee whose injuries were not as visible. He was suffering from severe PTSD and depression, but he was a contractor before he got into the military. And those guys for a year took every payment they got from military disability. And they started a foundation called the Purple Heart Homes, where they now go around and they build homes for disabled veterans from all the wars, all the way back to World War II, Vietnam, Korea, all of them. They build homes for people. You see, When grace comes into your life, when real grace changes you, it produces a kind of joy in you that you realize that somebody has done something for me that I didn't deserve. They've overwhelmed me with something that I couldn't do. And that produces a joy that makes us generous people. But what about you? I don't know if anybody's built you a home yet. Maybe not. Maybe you find yourself in this life on the wrong side of fortune too often. Maybe you look at your life and say, not only has nobody been gracious to me, things have been unfair to me. Well, how can I have joy if joy is the product of having grace? Nobody's been gracious to me. What grace has been offered to us? That's why I included verse 9. Read this with me. Paul says, here's the anchor for all of this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So you have to ask yourself, what kind of poverty is keeping you from being a generous person? Now pause, because it's not poor circumstances that's keeping you from being generous, right? And it's not lack of money that's keeping you from being a generous person. We've already learned that extra money and easier circumstances don't make generous people. So what poverty is it that's keeping you from realizing how rich you can be in Jesus Christ? Is it the poverty of guilt? Are you just overburdened by guilt? Well, remember he told us that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was. He's trying to say to you, I carried that. You're guilt. You're forgiven. You're free. Now go. Release yourself of the guilt that you have. Become generous and joyful. Is it the poverty of shame? Remember Isaiah said that Jesus was despised and rejected by people. He was ultimately looked at and despised and rejected so that you could be accepted by the one true king of the universe. Whatever shame you may have about being rejected to whatever group you want to be a part of, there's one who is the sovereign king of the world that says, you're mine. And Jesus says, I was shamed so that you could have that. Is it the poverty of sorrow or grief in your life? 
nobody experienced a greater sense of unjust suffering than Jesus Christ. And why did he experience such unjust suffering? It was at the hands of my sin, and it was your sin. And he, gave, and he went through that sort of experience of unjust suffering to give you a kind of love that can transcend the ways that you get hurt here, the ways that people hurt you, the way that people do you wrong, the way that life doesn't break right for you. He went through unjust suffering to give you a kind of love that transcends difficulties here. He overcame the poverty of sorrow and grief. Is it the poverty that you experience of just being ordinary, ignored, or undesirable? Isaiah also tells us that Jesus was disregarded and undesirable. He said there's nothing about him that people would look at and want to be attracted to. He went through all of that as a disregarded, disheveled man for the sake of you and I being able to receive how much he loves and longs for us. You see, he went into this for the purpose of communicating to you that you are who he wants. So if you struggle with this idea of being undesirable or being ordinary or ignored in your life, realize that Jesus Christ left the riches of heaven to exist in a poverty state on this earth to communicate the message to you that you are wanted by God. Maybe you're suffering from the poverty of selfishness. Maybe you're just going down all kinds of roads looking for joy and you want to make it on your own. Everything you're doing is sort of turning over rocks, looking for joy, and you've got this. You're going to pay for it. You're going to figure it out. Jesus says, yes, you've gone your own way. And the cost for every journey you've taken for joy that has turned up empty, I'll pay for it. And I'll even pay for the ticket for you to come home. What poverty is it that's keeping you from receiving his grace, producing a kind of joy in you to make you an overwhelming, generous person? Maybe you're not aware of how much grace has been given to you because you're still living in one of these poverties or maybe a different poverty. You see, receiving God's grace will produce a kind of overwhelming joy. Pardon me, there it is. Receiving God's grace will produce an overwhelming joy which will make you overflow in generosity. But you won't become generous until you receive His grace and have His joy. And if that grace is something that you need, maybe you're living in the poverty that we've described today and you want to become generous, boy, there's a life of blessing that's waiting for you if you'll receive His grace and have His joy. Let's stand and sing. If you have a need, you can come.